back in the fur shed for episode 56 of the Trapping Today podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. I am at trappingtoday.com where I provide information and entertainment for the modern trapper. Do my best to make a go of things here. Uh, and you can find my Instagram at trappingtodaydotcom. I have a YouTube channel, Trapping Today. Post up videos and pictures from the trap line and try to keep you up to date on what's going on in my world and also figure out a little bit about what's going on in your world. So thanks for tuning in guys. I really appreciate having you here each and every week and I love sitting in the first shed recording these podcasts. So the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z, Cots Bros, B-R-O-S dot com. You can find their full line of trapping supplies, books, DVDs, uh, trapping lures, lots and lots of lures and baits, and uh, all kinds of great information, traps, and so on. Uh, great guys to deal with. Uh, you won't go wrong with them. So I appreciate you checking them out and letting them know you heard about them from the Trapping Today podcast. Awesome to support the sponsors. All right, so I have a lot to catch up on. The previous two episodes, I actually recorded those on the same day trying to get a little bit ahead because I had some stuff going on. So I haven't sat down and made a recording for uh, almost two weeks now. So in the meantime, I've had three different trap line checks in the big woods. Uh, So lots of, I guess, interesting information to share there, um, and as well as the trap line that I've been running here close to the house. So I thought I'd give a little bit of a recap. Now, you know that I am trapping in northern Maine for Martin and Fisher and Weasel in the big woods. And we have, it's a very remote area, and it's also an area that is subject to regulations that are put in place to protect Canada lynx. So in order to trap for Martin and Fisher using body grip traps with a five-day check, we have to use these Lynx exclusion devices. And my uh, LEDs are these wooden boxes that are pretty bulky and heavy and, you know, just kind of a pain in the butt to carry around all over the place. And what that means is it's it's somewhat difficult to run a long line for Martin and Fisher. And that's not to say it's not impossible, but it's more challenging. What's even more challenging is we have like two and a half feet of snow on the ground right now. Even though it's the 12th of December, it's been quite an early winter. It's been pretty brutal for snow and cold weather. Uh, actually, today it was cold cold all day, even in the sun. It started to warm up a little bit, but it must have been about oh, 10 below this morning and probably warmed up to the teens, and it's going to be about between 5 and 10 below tonight. Um, we're supposed to get a little warm up after this, but it's been unseasonably cold, uh, lots of snow, lots of ice. So I'm, I'm running this trap line in snowmobile, of course. And what that means is it's very difficult to be able to move these big bulky boxes around with snowmobile. If I was able to drive with a pickup truck, I'd be able, you know, I can, I could fit about 30 of these boxes at one time in my truck with nothing else in it. Uh, if I had all my trapping gear, 
you know, I could probably fit 20 of them and I could pull 20 traps at a time and go move them probably the same day uh, to another portion of line and a different area where I wanted to set up. Uh, that would be ideal, but this is not as ideal. So what I did is I set, I set a bunch of traps out. And I actually had like 60 boxes out, but I only ended up setting about, oh, probably 40 to 50 of them. Uh, it kind of fluctuated a little bit. But <clears throat> on snowmobile, I'm only able to carry 10 of those at a time. And that's with them all strapped down on the dog sled in the back of the snowmobile, which uh, can be a challenge to pull at times, and it means that I can't, I can't uh, bring anything else with me. So what I've been doing is been running the line, having a great time, catching fur, um, having a blast, uh, spending a lot of money and gas. I know that that's kind of killing me, but it's been fun. But but the last few times I've been out checking. I've been pulling a few traps every time. So I pull like a sled load of traps a time. The last three checks, I've pulled ten, about 10 boxes each check. So I have a little string at a certain portion of the line, and I'll pull that. And then I'll go next time, I'll pull the next one. And I've been stashing these boxes about a half mile from the road where I parked the pickup truck. And my goal is actually by the time you listen to this, probably the day this comes out, I will be uh, out there in the woods um, with a pickup truck and a big trailer. I'm waiting for uh, a weekend, like a Sunday morning when the log trucks are not running on the road. So I don't have to worry about uh, meeting one with my trailer. It can be pretty dangerous on these these, uh, logging roads. And uh, I'm going to go and kind of pull all those at once. So I've been kind of phasing down and pulling these boxes in a little bit at a time because I kind of, I, I mean, we still have about two weeks left in our season. Actually, uh, yeah, a little over two weeks right now, probably less than two weeks by the time you, you listen to this. Uh, but I I don't have two weeks, I don't have two, three weeks left in my budget to try to be able to get out there. And if I get a breakdown, I'm going to be in some big trouble. So uh, I'm I'm kind of phasing out of that portion of the line. It's just so far away. And I'm going to focus on trapping closer to home. So it, it, it's been good. And the interesting thing is, as I have been uh, pulling out portions of the line, I've had fewer and fewer traps to check. And I realize that that means uh, it's going to be, you know, my success is going to be lower as I go and, and check fewer and fewer traps. However, what I've been finding is I'm actually catching almost the same numbers of fur bears with fewer traps. So um, as far as I can tell, the catch efficiency has been going up for a couple of reasons. One, I've pulled traps typically in areas that have given me lower success rates in areas that I've set up first. So I've already caught the fur that was available to be caught in those areas. So as I pulled them out, those are, are areas that I was less likely to catch fur in anyway. So the remaining traps are in places that are, are in kind of higher percentage areas. And the second thing is, it's getting colder. We've got all the snow on the ground. I think the fur bears are just hungrier and uh, there's less food available and they got to work harder for it. So they're more likely to go into these Lynx exclusion devices and get caught. 
So it's been kind of cool. Um, it's slowing. It is still slowing down, but just a quick rundown. And I really part the funny thing is part of why I talk about this stuff in the podcast. I know a lot of you guys enjoy just hearing this trapline talk. Um, some of you may not, but the reason I like talking about it is because it actually helps me remember it. Is it's so incredible how many things I've forgotten just in the past two weeks. There's just so many things going on, and uh, you get a full day, and then all of a sudden you that full day there's all kinds of things that went on, and it's like your brain kind of forgets about what happened a week ago, um, and replaces those memories with more recent memories. So I like kind of putting this out uh, in audio and having something to go back on and think. All right, what did I catch that time? How is that trap line going? And so anyway, I've got my little book here I'm looking at, and I keep a, a notebook of all my sets. I have a right in the rain notebook, and every set that I make, starting with number one at the beginning of the year, and I just go in sequence all the way. If I make new sets, I just add and go on to the next number. Um, if I pull sets, I cross those out, and... I just, if I had new sets, I just keep going on in the higher sequence of numbers. So, at the number when I make a set, that number remains the same number every time. And when I go and check the line and I make a catch, I will write down that number and circle it and write down what I caught in that particular trap. And so I can look back in that number and kind of see what that trap's done for me throughout the course of the season. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm going back to two checks ago, the 2nd of December, and that day I caught uh, a Martin, uh, two Weasels, and two Fishers, and the Martin was in a, actually in a, the same trap where I caught a Fisher earlier this season, which is, is uh, pretty interesting. Um, that happens uh, that happens occasionally and um, it's not I mean I mean Martin and Fisher overlap here they are very competitive Fisher typically outcompete Martin and prey on Martin uh, but a lot of times I've seen where where you catch a Fisher and uh, a few days later you can catch a Martin in that same trap it, it does happen uh, caught a couple, caught a, actually caught a longtail weasel, which is, I, I believe is the first longtail weasel I've caught this year. We don't see a lot of them in the deep woods, but you do see them typically where you see fishers, uh, and then places where we see more marten, we tend to see more shorttail weasels up here. Uh, I caught two fishers, and this was really interesting because the whole all season I know I'm in an area with quite a few fishers not a whole lot of martin and i i know these fishers have been going by my sets and not going in the trap even even when i don't get good snow to check to see you know what's walked through uh, i can kind of see some old tracks in the snow you could tell there's been refusals and all of a sudden you know they've seemed to have got a little more hungry uh things are colder and i'm I started picking up a few more fishers. So I caught uh, this first fisher was actually uh, Jeff, if you're listening. Uh, This was pretty neat. I sent you an email about it because Jeff was listening to 
Jeff from uh, Virginia, right? From Virginia. He was listening to an episode where I saw that Fisher track earlier on, and I set a trap for it, and I never, it walked right by where my set was, and I never did catch that Fisher. Well, 22 days after I set that trap, I finally caught that Fisher. Um, in between that time, I'd seen him walking along the road where I had my sets. He never went to the sets, <clears throat> wasn't interested, and finally, 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 I caught him. So I did a little YouTube video on that, and I was I was really excited and really excited to catch that guy. Uh, it was pretty big male fishers, nine pounds four ounces, and it was it was great. So I got that, and then. Uh, toward the end, I set I set a line out, and you guys would remember when I was all excited because I could set from the snowmobile this area that I could never access with the pickup truck, and it was way off past this mud hole in this road logging road system that was basically hasn't been traveled for years, and there's all kinds of big deep woods in that area that you can't access except by through going through this mud hole. So I thought, you know, this is really remote. Uh, this looks to be Martin Country. This is going to be awesome. Well, I checked it a few times, and I didn't catch any Martin in it. Uh, this was one of the times I checked this with no Martin. I went all the way to the very end of this last set on the end of this road system, and I caught a fisher. And it was a monster fisher. It was huge. It was actually uh, still alive when I got to the set, so I had to get creative and dispatch it. Um, <clears throat> it got caught in the 120 body grip trap, and uh, it had just gotten caught. You could see the fresh track coming in. It probably got caught that morning before I got there, and uh, <clears throat> or even during the day when it was snowing. I get there, I don't know, I probably get there around 10, 11 o'clock. And it was... Uh, it was a 10-pound, 4-ounce fisher, big male. Actually, just before I recorded this, I just skinned it out, and I got him on the board right now, dry, starting to dry. I'm going to turn him here probably in a couple hours. But that that was a monster fisher. And, and it just goes to show that places that you think you're going to catch a certain species, and, you know, I thought this was martin habitat. Well, sure enough, it you know didn't turn out to be martin habitat. Um, I came back the next, very next check, five days after that, and I caught uh, two Martin, two Weasels, and a Fisher. And I'll just skip ahead to the Fisher because I caught a second Fisher that was th one, two, three traps away from that Fisher I caught at the end of that road. Um... And it was also in that road, that same road system where I thought I was going to catch a bunch of Martin. I caught another fisher there. That was probably half a mile away from that other fisher. This fisher was, uh, oh, he was also 10, he was identical to the other one. He was 10 pounds, 4 ounces, believe it or not. I thought this was a 12-pound fisher at least. It was a beast. And it was frozen solid. I actually, I drove by in snowmobile and I looked and I saw snow covered in the um, front of the box, in the entrance of the box. I, how We only got like three inches of fresh powdery snow. How did that cover up that whole box? It doesn't make any sense. Of course, I went up to it and I went to, I brushed away the snow and there was black there, black fur. 
and that was the whole backside of a fisher sticking out of the box so that was pretty awesome caught that big fisher and I tried for about 10-15 minutes to get him out of that trap that 120 and out of the box and he was packed in so tightly I could not move him so I actually ended up taking the whole box home I strapped it to the back of the snowmobile and drove it out and I had to take it home and thaw it out uh, thaw that fisher out by the by the stove at the house before I could get him out of the trap and out of the box um, but but yeah just 10 pounds 4 ounces he's big big old male and uh, that was pretty awesome as well um, that day I caught um, I caught a Martin oh there was an area when I was doing a podcast episode I think I mentioned uh, on my way out from the trap line one day I saw a fresh Martin track and again this is an area that I haven't had a chance to see a lot of get a lot of good tracking snow but when I have had tracking snow, I haven't seen a lot of Martin tracks. I know uh, I'm not in a high Martin density area, and I, I'm going to move to a different area next year, and I'll probably discuss that in the future. But I saw a fresh Martin track, and so I had a box uh, available on me, and I, I set that up right on that track uh, on the side of that road. I came back the next check, didn't have anything. Well, two checks later, um, I showed up there and there was a Martin. So it uh, just goes to show, you know, where where I have Martin on the line, I can catch them. It's just a matter of finding them and getting them, um, <clears throat> getting at where they are. So that was pretty awesome to see. Uh, it makes a guy really excited about going and finding more fresh Martin tracks. Uh, the next spot was a place I did a YouTube video where I had I, I had the bait I caught a martin and this so this is a set where I actually caught end up catching two martin this same set I caught a martin last year and I had a fisher refusal last year I get some YouTube videos on that one but I caught a martin here uh, a, a visit prior and when I went to pull that martin out of the trap I noticed all my bait was gone it looked like something had walked over top of that martin and stole all the bait well I hadn't been very prepared and I had the snowmobile without much with me and I didn't have any any bait to replace what I had lost um, most all of my catches when I make a catch I have a the martin gets caught or the fisher gets caught their weasel gets caught and the bait stays there. The bait's not stolen. It's not like there's three, four animals that are trying to get in, or, or even two trying to get into that set. Um, fairly low densities. Uh, when they get caught, <clears throat> usually that's what's there. So I've gotten in the habit of not bringing extra bait, and that was a bad habit because I didn't have bait and I needed it. So what I did is I put uh, all I had was part of my lunch. I had some Jack Links beef jerky and some salted peanuts <laughs> I just put those in the box I made a little YouTube video about the sacrifices a Martin Trapper has to make sometimes and I went off and, and went home and I, I went back I checked that uh, on the second no I didn't have anything and on the second I was smart enough to actually bring some bait with me I put some uh, meat in there some some deer s scraps from a deer I'd cut up and butchered and I came back this next time and I had a Martin in that trap. So that was pretty cool. Um, 
the other that so those were the two Martin got the two weasel and that big Fisher so that was a pretty good check um, now remember every time I'm going I'm pulling 10 boxes out so I have 10 fewer to check and then today I only had oh 20 probably tw maybe 25 sets to check um, I pulled seven of them today and I caught I only caught one Martin today but the interesting thing was I had no action in anything except that remote area past that mud hole in in that uh, old logging road system and I started to get into there to tend my traps and I got all there's all this fresh snow and I see all of a sudden I see this track cross the road and it's is a fisher track, a small fisher. And I kept going on the snowmobile and boom, it crossed the road again, kept going, cross the road again, again, cross the road six or eight times. And I knew I had a set. It, w it did this just after one of my sets. I was like, you know, he didn't go to that set. I checked that, there was nothing there. And I did this six or eight times and I knew I had a set coming up, set coming up, set coming up. And it was at the base of this huge pine tree. And I get to the set, and I see his track going right to it. And I thought, oh, sweet. I've got this guy. Perfect. And this, believe it or not, is uh, actually less than probably an eighth of a mile from where I caught that big fisher that I got frozen in the box. So we're talking three fishers in this half-mile radius. Uh, it's just insane, the number of fishers here. This, is, this used to be Martin Country. Uh, the timber companies have have uh, cut the wood really hard it really has changed the martin habitat and it's mostly fisher country now I'm, I'm beginning to learn and it's kind of been reinforced here recently but anyway this fisher come in so i i walked and i was anticipating and and sure enough same deal links exclusion device fisher circle 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 and and would not go in the box it went from behind the box tried to get at the bait from behind uh, would not go in so you know wasn't hungry enough um, what I did in in this case is I actually put some of that mustela glandelure which I don't have a lot of but it, the stuff where I used it it was working really good to get them to go into boxes so uh, early in the season I, I had very good luck with this and I stopped using it because I was pretty much out at a little bit left and I stuck some in and what I did this time is you have from the entrance of the box to the bait is about two feet from the inch of the box to the trap is minor like 19 inches they're required to be 18 inches so about six or eight inches in from the inch of the box I put that glandelure and what my hope is that fisher comes back and if it isn't hungry enough to get inside the box if it smells that glandelure it may be interested enough um, this is a 120 box they can see the bait straight sight. I don't think there's an issue with I don't know what's in the box. I'm not comfortable with it. Um, but I'm hoping to capitalize on that instinct that there was another Martin or Fisher or Weasel here. I can smell their glands. I'm going to stick my head and put my nose on those glands. And if if that Fisher gets his shoulders through the box and sniffs those glands, all of a sudden it looks ahead and the bait is right there. So um, that to me that's the that's the uh, opportunity if this fisher comes back but in four days i'm pulling this entire line so in the next four days that's kind of my chance to get that fisher and that's going to be it 
now the the one catch that I made today was a martin and I caught that martin in the area in that new road where I thought I was going to get a bunch of martin um, just about half mile down from where this fisher refused to go my set so uh, it was kind of weird you know I set that up three checks in a row and I didn't catch a single martin and then all of a sudden I get a martin there I don't know where it came from um, but probably dispersing through the area but pretty cool. I was excited to get that. So it's a pretty good day. Um, I will admit, I kind of found myself uh, uh, slacking a little bit today. Uh, it was a combination, you know, fewer traps to check um, late in the season, and kind of losing losing that excitement. And and it's hard. It's hard to keep yourself motivated sometimes. But when you don't. It really, you really suffer as a trapper, and we're all guilty of that. Uh, I'm guilty of it. I've, I've been excited and motivated this whole season, despite you know a lot of different situations. But uh, th- today, uh, I had some other personal work situations that were not going well that got me a little upset, and I allowed that to get to me and kind of set me down, set me back a little bit. And I just kind of wasn't on my game. wasn't excited about it. I just got to a point. I was like, oh, I'm not going to catch anything. I just got to run through the traps, get home. Uh, and I got over that. You know, I I got to watch those fish. That fisher work the set. I uh, I caught that martin, and I kind of just told myself I was being a baby, and I needed to be, you know, focused and more excited about trapping and how lucky I was to be there. And I come back out of it, but. Anyway, we all get into that little funk as trappers. So that's my trap line. I didn't expect to spend 25 minutes on that. I have a list of about 15, 15 items to get to. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break and I'm going to decide what else I want to talk to you about today. All right, got some wood in the stove here at the fur shed. So um, going to keep the cold at bay for a little while longer. What I want to do is run down the list of things that I have to talk about. And uh, I won't get to these. It'll, it'll probably be over the series of next few episodes uh, that I'll get to most of these. But uh, just to give you an idea of what's, what's to come, I'm going to give an update on the weasel trap line here at the farm at home with my boy and, well, my boys. Uh, that's been so much fun, and we, it's been really exciting. we got some exciting, exciting things uh, to share from, from that line. Uh, but I've given you enough about my trapping uh, in this episode that I'll probably save that for another one. Uh, a little bit about fur handling. So I've, I did uh, five Martin and a couple Fishers here in the last two days. Um, just a few observations and things that I have learned from handling fur, things to think about and consider. Recently read a book called Labrador by Choice uh, by uh, Ben Powell, who was a trapper in uh, from Newfoundland in Labrador. Really, really awesome book. Lots of adventure there and... and uh, Pretty incredible book uh, that you ought to check out, and I'll I'll do a little review of that. I'm going to get into some listener feedback and emails that I've gotten from you guys. Actually, I, I think I'll get to that tonight if we have time. I ordered some uh, snare snaring supplies from uh, Dakota Line 
to get ready for under ice beaver snaring. Also some uh, fur handling stuff from wildlife control supplies. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about that stuff. Martin and Fisher, a little bit of detailed on information on trying to tell adult versus juvenile. That was pretty uh, interesting that uh, information that I kind of been been pawing through a little bit on ways to identify adult versus juvenile and, and why you should or or you know why you could benefit from knowing that information. Stomach analysis. I've been opening up the stomachs of all the animals that I've been skinning, trying to see what they're feeding on, and uh, you know their diets can base a lot of um, you know a lot of their habits and trying to understand what they do and why they do it can be understood by looking at diets. Fisher toilets. So uh, Joe has been commenting a little bit on the website uh, and uh, a little bit of email back and forth on on Fisher scouting and toilets and, and maybe looking for Martin toilets. Really fascinating stuff that I need to learn more about need to look into more. Uh, I got a lot to go into about that, uh, and kind of tearing off of of the ideas that Joe has shared. I've been developing a little bit of a theory on Martin and Fisher, and you can't help but think when you're riding around in the truck or snowmobile on the trap line, and you know observing all kinds of different things thoughts go through your head all the time and my thoughts on density patterns martin fisher interactions densities and overall density of martin and fisher on a landscape scale in in how that changes it is something that has always fascinated me and i have some updated observations on that a little bit of fur market stuff uh, there is a petition to ban bobcat trapping in Colorado. Kind of thought about going into that a little bit. A um, few other things. I have some ideas for things that I would like to do coming into the winter. I'd like to do some more with the podcast. And I probably will get into that very shortly. Um, but that is the list. And what I want to do is, uh, just so you know that, I'm going to be working on items from that list over the next episode or two, but I want to start with items um, from you guys, so listener feedback and emails. So I had a question from Chris, who's uh, a regular listener of the podcast and a very a new and very active trapper getting stuff done. Uh, he's actually, the poor guy is jealous that we have Martin Fisher up here. Uh, and they don't down North Carolina. But uh, Chris, it's always great to hear from you. And he had a question about the effect of winter storms on uh, water traps. So uh, he was very wise and pulled his coyote fox coyote traps uh, with a 12 to 24 inches of snow forecasted for his area. So uh, I think that was a good decision to get those land traps out of there because there's a good chance you're not going to find them under 12, 24 inches of snow. And he was wondering about, you know, what should I do with my water traps? So uh, for me, having never trapped in North Carolina, uh, I, I can't be an expert on this, but 
what I can say is the the impact of 12 to 24 inches of snow is is far different than 10 inches of rain. Um, you know, snow. I think this the water equivalent of a foot of snow is like an inch of water, uh, like an inch of rain. So it's I I don't know the exact numbers, but it's somewhere around there. So basically, what you're looking at is it sounds like a lot. You know, 12 a foot to two feet of snow. But really, that snow doesn't really equate to a whole lot of water when it comes down to what's, you know, what are the impacts to the stream flow or river flow going to be. Uh, the other thing to consider is that when it rains, when you get an inch, two inches, three inches, four inches, five inches of rain, that is going into the watershed immediately. And that is going into the ground it's running off the ground into streams and tributaries and into rivers and within you know hours to two three days you're going to see the impacts of rising water levels uh, from the rain uh, snow is a little bit different uh, depending on the time of year depending on where you are uh, a couple things are going to happen but for the most part snow uh, when it falls and when it melts, the snow is going to melt uh, at, at a, the rate at which snow is going to reach a, a water course is going to be much, much slower than rain. Because if you have any period of time where you're below freezing temperatures, snow is not going to be melting. Uh, you get two feet of snow. Obviously, while that snow is falling, it's not melting because you have to be below freezing to get snow. And so it's accumulating. Uh, as soon as the temperature gets up above freezing, that's going to start melting, but it's going to be a very slow process of that snow melting. So the runoff from that snow is going to be relatively slow. And so instead of having all this water at once, you're going to have a slow increase in flows. What that means is, uh, as a trapper, when you're out checking your traps, number one, you're probably not going to be inundated like you are with like spring runoff or, or getting three, four inches of rain, uh, and everything just kind of blows out. You're probably not going to be inundated with that much water at once. You're going to have time to check and see the water level rising a little bit, and then you can adjust your sets and move them around and do things to adapt to that. So, I. I guess my advice to Chris was, you know, don't don't be too worried about the snow. I I just roll with it, you know, just keep trapping. And uh, I think Chris is so excited about trapping that he's gonna keep doing it no matter what. So he'll he'll go he'll get through that. Um, all right, another one. Uh, I want to save this one for last. Okay, I got Ryan from uh, Wisconsin and. Ryan was talking about, uh, actually he's talking about a lot of other subjects uh, and topics, but uh, he came across the podcast in iTunes and trapped with his dad for a while um, and has been started starting to uh, go on his own trapping. And he, uh, you know, he enjoys listening to podcasts and also want to talk about he heard about weasel trapping with me and my boy 
and gave a few tips about uh, using rat snap traps for weasel trapping uh, in boxes. And actually, we we are that's a good that's a great piece of advice, and I appreciate that. Um, we are allowed to use rat snap traps here. Our again, our links rules are so complex, but we if we make a box and have a two inch diameter or less hole in the entrance of that box we can use a rat snap trap inside the box so I was always like why the heck do I want to do that so I put a two inch hole make a box put a rat trap inside it and then what do I do set a little tiny piece of meat on the pan of the rat trap uh, but Ryan what Ryan said is like common sense and I I just hadn't thought about it is uh, they set you know they set the bait at the back of that box and they just use the pan of the rat trap is kind of just works as a pan for the weasel to step onto to get to the bait and then of course it'll snap off and catch them but it's not you're not actually putting the bait on the pan which something just intuitively I I just didn't think of, but it's common sense. And and uh, sometimes it takes people to tell you that. So thank you, Ryan, very much. And uh, the other parts of our, our email correspondence, um, I hope I was able to help you out that. I really appreciate uh, you talking with me about it. All right, so Ty, all right. We have a trapper from uh, Louisiana, Louisiana. And uh, we got... You know, you guys from all over the country listening to this is it's really awesome to hear hear from you in different areas and this is why it's important to email me, jrodwood at gmail.com. J R O D W O O D at gmail.com with any questions, comments, whatever about the podcast. I love to hear from you. And I I don't always, you know, think of things that I should be talking about and covering in the podcast because I don't always know what you guys are thinking. And I don't know how many guys from Louisiana are listening to the podcast. But Ty brings up a really good point that I I didn't even think about. Uh, because, you know, I just didn't have Louisiana in mind. So I appreciate that. And you know what? When I hear from people of different parts of the country with certain uh, questions and concerns, uh, I'm going to be more likely to get into that information. So thanks, Ty, very much. Uh, he is talking about Nutria. So if you're not familiar with Nutria, we'll probably do something in the future about them. They're an introduced species that is very similar to muskrat, but quite a bit larger than muskrats. They were, they're were a fur bearer, and they were introduced into the United States because of their uh, quality as a fur-bearing animal during periods of time when the fur market was at a high and they you know it was it was um, believed that they were a high value fur bear species and that it would be beneficial to have nutria um, to provide furs for the market well nutria I, I don't I don't have the complete background. I believe they were brought in to fur farms and they escaped, uh, or you know there was some deterioration of infrastructure in some fur farms where they just kind of let them go. 
I, I don't know if they were uh, intentionally introduced into the wild, um, but there, it was incidental to the fur farming industry. Nutria showed up in the wild, and they are adapted to southern climates, so they do very well in the southern United States, in, especially in coastal areas. They have become incredibly abundant, and they've become so abundant to the point where nutria have taken over and destroyed wetland and coastal uh, vegetative habitat that other species rely on. So they become an incredible nuisance species. Uh, there are parts of the country where their federal employees at full time, their job is to kill and remove nutria, trap nutria. Uh, state of Louisiana has a bounty on nutria, and Ty was asking about, you know, what what's the value of a nutria pelt? What, can I do anything with them? Because I'm kind of catching them when I'm trapping other things. And honestly, it there's a little to no value in nutria pelts right now, unfortunately. It's very unfortunate. When the market fur market's high, there's some value, but right now there's essentially none. Um, the state has a bounty on nutria they pay five dollars a tail so uh, there's some potential here however uh, you have to be in there's a specific area that the bounty is uh, honored and uh, you have to have kind of proof that you're trapping in that specific area so you have to have the uh, land that area kind of mapped out and filed that with the state show them that you're trapping in that area and in order to qualify and then you turn in nutria tails and you get the bounty money of course that's all you know that's all tracked you gotta pay taxes on the money and everything else so it's not uh, if you're going out of your way to trap nutria a lot of guys are probably gonna find that you know maybe it's not worth the money if you're in that area if you don't mind going through the process doing the paperwork and everything it might not be a bad idea. You might you might be able to do okay uh, trapping nutria for bounty. And if there's anybody there here that's listening that does that and does well, um, I would love to hear from you, get some feedback on the program. I know there's uh, it, uh, apparently from what I've read, there's it's a pretty good success story where they're actually showing through the bounty program they're ha- able to have a positive impact on this wetland habitat as a result of all these nutrients being trapped. So anyway, Ty, thank you so much for bringing up that question. Uh, awesome uh, to hear guys from Louisiana listening. Uh, Dan, all right, Dan listens to the podcast. Uh, he's been following trappingtoday.com for a long time. Uh, trapped for a while, got out of it, and is starting to get back into it. And he and his daughter and son-in-law are listening weekly to the podcast. I love you guys for listening. Thank you so much for that. That's so awesome. And uh, I hope that you guys are getting more excited about trapping by listening to this. Um, that if, if nothing else, that would be so awesome for me uh, to hear that, that a couple more people got into trapping uh, from listening to the podcast. That would be so cool. So, um, anyway, Dan, thank you so much. You just kind of gave me, uh, uh, you know, a little thank you for, uh, for the podcast, I guess. 
and uh, that's great to hear. I actually don't even know where you are, Dan, um, what part of the country you're in, but anyway, shoot me an email, let me know, so I can uh, figure that out. All right, I have uh, Steve. Now, this is the one I was saving for the end because I'm really, I was really excited to hear about this because Steve is doing a lot of the similar type of trapping that I'm doing. And Steve is uh, from, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to just read this through because he gave me per- permission to, uh, to read the, the email to you. And I think it's just the coolest thing ever. I, I really appreciate this and it's exciting. It's rewarding to me to, for doing, for doing this podcast, uh, making the, the lure and everything else. So he says, hi, Jeremiah. First, let me say I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I've listened to them all some several times. Although I recently celebrated my 60th birthday, this is my first year trapping. I cannot tell you how much I've learned from your podcast and how much I enjoy them. The guy who is my mentor and I pretty much live your motto of keep on thinking trapping, talking trapping. Anyway, we're running a fisher line right now. My mentor, is a, Jeff, is a very experienced fisher trapper. It was the first thing he started trapping as a youth in northern Wisconsin. As with all things trapping, though, there's no such thing as knowing at all. So this year, he, we, are experimenting with flagging. He noticed while bobcat trapping that fishers were often attracted to the flags. We've also been reading about martin trappers in Minnesota using flags as well. So my question is, do you use flags at your sets? And if so, what are they made of? Um, So I'll, I'll answer that in a little bit. Um, actually, I'll answer that right now. So basically, I use flags at every one of my sets, and I I use flags for two reasons. My, first of all, my flagging is basically just flagging tape. The the same flagging tape uh, that foresters use. It's all over the woods up here, and I use it for two reasons. Number one, I use it so that I can remember and identify my sets, especially if I am checking traps in an area if it's dark. It's very, very difficult to, even if you have a GPS, I've got, I've got my phone with the Onyx app, and I've got the Onyx maps going, and I know where my trap sets are. Uh, I see my tracks in the snow. It doesn't matter. It's very, very difficult to pinpoint where to stop and where to go off the road to get to your set. But if you have a little piece of flagging tape, that, that makes the difference. So I have essentially two fl- sets of flagging tape. On the road that I'm traveling, I'll have a piece of flagging tape tied to a tree on the edge of the road, just so I can see where my trap is. That is for me to identify it, and sometimes that's on the same side of the road as the trap. If it's a road that is traveled by other people, hunters, uh, possibly trappers, uh, it, you know, it's not that clever, but I will put the flagging tape on the opposite side of the road, just in case someone sees the flagging tape, oh, the guy's got a trap in here, they go to walk on the side of the road, I got the flagging tape on, they don't see anything, ah, I guess he doesn't have, I guess that's nothing. Um, So, in those cases, I'll set a flagging tape on one side of the road, my trap's on the opposite side. That's just for me to identify, to remember, and kind of pinpoint where my sets are. At the actual trap, I set a piece of flagging tape, and this is a longer piece of tape, it also helps me ID the set, but the primary reason for that piece of lagging tape other than ID in the set is I want the animal uh, to be able to key in on the area where my bait is. Uh, 
and basically my long distance call lure is going to draw animals in from a long distance away that's you know that's the purpose of it the skunk essence that's that's what brings them in they smell that lure something's going on they go towards that scent but then they need to identify the set and I think there are cases where an animal smells a lure they walk towards the set and something catches their attention there's a, a rabbit runs runs by 20 yards away a bird starts making noise a squirrel uh, they smell something else that is fresher or more um, interesting to them a lot of things can happen from the time they smell the long-distance call lure to the time they get to your trap so w what I see the flagging tape as here is giving the animal an additional key to be able to uh, identify the set and, and work its way to the set. So if that animal is walking towards that scent and all of a sudden sees this piece of flagging tape that's flapping in the wind, that's going to catch its attention. And if its attention has been caught, that animal is likely to go and check that out. As it moves closer toward that piece of flagging tape, all of a sudden it's going to smell your bait in your box or at your set and then you're more likely to catch that animal. So that's why I use flags and I, I highly recommend it for Martin and Fisher trapping. Uh, bobcat trapping, obviously bobcats are very visual. Uh, coyote and fox, I don't think it's that effective but I, I haven't used it, coyote fox trapping. Uh, so I'm not an expert on that, I'm not going to recommend it but Martin and Fisher trapping, absolutely use flagging. Alright, so the at, we talked about the flagging thing now uh, Steve says lastly we are both very impressed with the staying power of your Martin Fisher long distance call lure like I said Jeff has been trapping for 40 years and he says he's never seen a lure with such great staying power it really stands up to our snow and cold it was great when I pulled out uh, pulled that out and got to show the old timer something he hadn't seen before he'd not heard of you or the podcast and is skeptical of anything new we used it at a couple of sets, and after our recent drop in temperature, it's the only thing still working. He now wants to add it to all of our sets. I should probably order him a jar for Christmas. Anyway, thanks for all you do to support the trapping community and help make my introduction to trapping a successful one. I'll send you pictures of the fisher when I catch him. Steve, I absolutely am so excited to see the pictures of that fisher. Um, I cannot wait. So thank you so much. Um, I'll tell you what, give me Jeff's address and I'll send him a bottle of lore. All right, send me an email with his his address and uh, and uh, I'll I'll give him I'll give him a bottle of lore free. That that's just really awesome, uh, guys. The stuff works. Um, we're gonna talk in future episodes about long distance call lure and skunk using skunk essence because Joe brought up a lot of good points about skunk being overused in places and I agree with that to a certain extent. Um, this this lure is I think is a it's a very interesting lure. Uh, there's two components to it and I've noticed this on my line recently. Uh, I actually I was reluring it every time because this you know I'm making the stuff it, it doesn't cost me much. I'm not worried about it. I'm just keep reluring. And a couple weeks ago I stopped at most of my sets. I did not relure. And the the staying power is is very impressive and 
I get caught in the rut of thinking, well, you know, if I can't smell it, an animal can't smell it, or, you know, I need it needs to be really strong. Well, sometimes that's too strong and it's overpowering. But if you get walked downwind of your set two, a week and a half to two weeks after you have put applied that lure and you're still smelling some skunk, that's that lure is working very effectively. Now, the other thing about this lure uh, not only you know it has that grease base and it's it's holding up to the weather. There are all these musks incorporated into the lure, in addition to the skunk essence. And skunk essence is very volatile, meaning it uh, it releases the scent releases into the air very quickly, and so it kind of wears it tends to wear away more quickly because it's so volatile. But all of the musks and incorporated into that lure are less volatile and they stand, tend to stick around at the set for a longer period of time. So you kind of have a one-two punch with this lure where, uh, first of all, you're going you're gonna to apply that lure and you're going to get a strong hit of skunk essence. And if that's what you're looking for, that lure is going to hold up to rain and snow and cold weather and it's going to be very effective for a relatively long period of time as much as you can expect skunk essence to last but as that skunk essence starts to fade away the um, the musks the Tonquin, Muscaro, uh, Ambrat, Anise all of all of those scents are starting to become more prevalent in that lure formulation and because of that you have sort of a different call a different type of call um, and a more a longer lasting attraction at that set um, as opposed to if you just mix skunk essence and Vaseline like a lot of guys here do when that skunk essence goes away you're relying on just your bait to draw that animal in because the lure once the skunk essence is gone the lure doesn't have any power at all so uh, it's a good lure I, I'm actually running kind of short on it I have a few bottles left um, and I'm going to raise the price of it uh, just because I, you know, I I don't make a lot of it. It costs a lot to make it. It's a good lure. I think it's worth it. I know it's worth it. So um, anyway, if you want to buy a bottle of that, uh, I only sell it in four ounce bottles, and you can get it at trappingtoday.com. I'll include a link to in the show notes of the podcast uh, to purchase the lure. You can also get it at uh, on eBay. You can find it. So those are basically two places you can find the lure, and uh, I ship it. It all comes from me, and uh, as soon as I get your order, I send it out um, very, very quickly. So you'll have it as soon as possible. Actually, if you order two, I, I'll give you a promise that if you order two four-ounce bottles, I will send it priority uh, because uh, once you get up to that amount of weight, I can send that in a priority flat rate envelope, and it'll get to you within... T typically two days, uh, never more than three days, and uh, and so if you're running a trap line, you really need to get it fast. Um, I I'll ship that out to you quick, and and you'll have that lure available. So anyway, with that, I think we need to wrap up. We've got all kinds of other topics to cover uh, in future episodes of the podcast. I'm really excited about it, um, but. For now, keep on thinking trapping, keep on talking trapping, 
and get out and set some traps. It's trapping season, guys. It's cold weather. It's winter time. This is the time to get it done, uh, to do what we love and to love what we do. So we'll catch you on the next episode.